Hey there, this is the podcast, Walking with Dante, and I'm Mark Scarborough. As you well know, we are now reading through Dante's Inferno, having completed a slow walk, two and a half years slow walk, (laughs) that's pretty slow, a slow walk across Inferno and getting ready to start our ascent of Purgatorio, which is going to be amazing. I cannot wait to get to Purgatorio. But first, to celebrate our completion of Inferno, we're reading straight through it. We are going to read through my English translation of Cantos 26, 27, and 28 of Inferno. We have come down way down in the subsets of fraud, the evil pouches of fraud, and we just passed through the thieves and all their metamorphoses. In fact, the passage where we start is actually going to look back on the thieves and then continue on to the eighth and ninth pouches of fraud. If none of that makes any sense to you, that must mean you're just dropping in here. And I should tell you that there's a lot of Dante behind us, even just a lot of reading through Inferno. You might want to check that out or just stick around and see what happens here. You can find the passages in my English translation on my website, markscarborough.com or walkingwithdante.com. They go to the same place. As I always say, I hope you don't. I hope you just sit back and let the plot unfold around you because the plot is the very core of the genius of Dante's masterwork comedy. Here we go. Cantos 26, 27, and 28 of Inferno. Godi, Fiorenza, poi che se si grande, che per mare, per terra batti l'ali, e per l'inferno tuo nome si spande. Tra li ladron trovai cinque cotale tui cittadine, Onde mi ven vergogna, e tu in grande orranza non ne sali. Take pride, Florence, that you've gotten so grandiose that you beat your wings over sea and land. Your name even spreads out across hell. Among the thieves I found five who were your citizens, a fact that brings me much shame. It certainly didn't raise you to the heights of honor. But if those dreams we have near dawn are true, you'll feel in only a little more time the very things that Prato and others crave for you to feel. If it all had already happened, it wouldn't have been too soon. And would that it had happened, because it must happen. Even so, it will weigh me more and more down the longer I live." We left there, and along those stairs that had made the rocky outcrop for our first climb, my guide hoisted himself up and pulled me after him. So we strolled along on our solitary way among the slag and the rocks along the ridge. Our feet couldn't make their way without our hands. I was sad back then, and I'm sad again now when I turn my mind to what I saw there. For that reason... I'll put the reins on my talent, more so than usually, so that it won't run where virtue doesn't lead it, so that if some good star, or something even better, has given me so much good, I won't dispossess myself of it. 
let's say there's a rustic fellow lounging about on a hillside in the season when the thing that illuminates the world conceals his face the least from the rest of us. At the moment when the fly gives way to the mosquito, he sees the fireflies in the valley down below, where he perhaps plows his field or tends his vineyard. The eighth pouch was resplendent with just that many little fires when I got to fully see it up at the point where I could peer down into its depths. As the one who got his vengeance with the bears saw the chariot of Elijah take its departure, the horses lifting themselves erect on their way up into the heavens so that he could not follow them with his eyes, except he could see way up there a solitary flame like a little cloud rising up up and up. Just in such a way, each flame moved itself along the maw of the ditch. Not a single one gave away its theft, even though each flame had a sinner inside it. I straightened up on the bridge to see better. Had I not grabbed hold of a rocky crag, I would have fallen in without being pushed. My guide saw how the pit grabbed my attention, and he said, the spirit's are inside those fires, each one is clothed with what's incinerating him. My master, I replied, hearing you say that makes me more certain, but I'd already considered that such was the case, so I already wanted to ask you, who's in that fire that arrives so split at the top, so much so that it seems to be rising from the pyre where Eteocles and his brother were laid down? He said to me, there inside are tormented Ulysses and Diomedes. They're paired up in the vendetta that results from the wrath they incurred. Down inside that flame, they bewail the ploy of the horse that opened the gates from which issued the seed of the noble Romans. Caught inside, they lament their art by which, even dead, Didamia still pours out her sorrow for Achilles. They also settle the score over the palladium they stole. If they were able to speak in those flames, master, I said, I plead with you a lot to make it so. And even plead again by pleading at a thousandfold. Don't make me wait here a bit until the flame gets close to us. You see how I lean out with desire toward them. And Virgil said to me, your prayer is loaded with value. Thus, I accede to it. But see that your tongue is bridled. Let me do the talking. I understand exactly what you want still, because they're Greeks. They might be scornful of what you might say. When the flame got close enough where it seemed to my guide the right time and place, I heard him speak in this manner. Oh, you who are actually two inside one fire, if I merited anything from you both while I lived, if I merited anything from you, whether great or small, when in the world above I wrote my high verses, then hang back here a moment, and one of you tell where, lost by his own hand, he met his death. The bigger horn of the ancient flame began to quiver, murmuring as if it were affected by the wind, then shimmering its tip this way and that, as if it itself were a tongue that could speak. It brought out its voice and said, When I left Circe, 
who'd kept me for more than a year at a spot not far from Gaeta, before Aeneas named it that, neither any affection for my son, nor any reverence toward my old father, nor the debt of love I owed to Penelope, which would have pleased her, could vanquish the ardor inside of me that wanted to experience the wide world, including all the vices and heroics of humanity. So I set out on the deep open sea with only one ship and just such few companions who had not abandoned me. I saw one coast, then another, all the way out to Spain, even as far as Morocco, as well as the island of Sardinia and the other islands that bathe in that sea. I and my companions had gotten old slow when we made it to the narrow strait where Hercules had marked off the warning limits beyond which men shouldn't venture off the starboard side. I took my leave of Seville off the port. I'd already taken my leave of Ceuta. Oh, brothers, I said, who through a hundred thousand dangers have made it to the West to this little last bit of readiness that still hangs on in our senses. Do not deny yourselves the experience on beyond the sun of an unpeopled world. Give full credit to your origins. You were not created to live like beasts, but to live in search of virtue and knowledge. I'd made my companion so impassioned with my little speech for the journey ahead, I could hardly have held them back from it. We set our stern toward the sunrise and turned our oars into wings for our mad flight, always gaining our way on the port side. All the stars that surround the Antipodes already glimmered in the night, while our own from back home were so low they didn't even rise above the ocean's floor. Five times we had seen the light beneath the moon wax and wane since we started on this high pass, when a mountain rose up, still dim in the distance. It seemed to me I'd never seen any taller. We let out cries of joy, although... They've soon morphed into grief, for a whirlwind came out of that new land and struck the prow of our ship. Three times it spun that ship around in all that water. At the fourth, our stern reared up to a height. The prow went plunging down as it pleased another until the sea shut tight over us. At this point, the flames straightened up and turned quiet, intent on speaking no more. It then moved away from us with the go-ahead from my sweet poet Virgil. Just as another one who came up right behind made our sight fasten on its tip because of the garbled noise that could be heard from it, as the Sicilian bull, whose first bellows came from the cries of the guy who made it and it served him right, the one whose file had molded its form, as it used to bellow with the voice of the tormented so that, although it was made of brass, it seemed impaled in pain, so having no escape or outlet from its origins in the fire, the agonizing words were converted into their own language. But once those sounds had made it up to the flame's tip, giving it the same flutterings that had come from the tongue that had been their passage, we heard it say, Hey you, to whom I direct my voice, and who just now spoke Lombard, 
When you said, be on your way now, I'm not holding you anymore. Although I may have gotten here a bit late, may it not irritate you to stop and talk to me? You see that I'm not irritated, and I'm the one that's burning up. If only just now, into this blind world you fell from up above in the sweet land of Italy, from the place where I packed up all my guilt, tell me if Romagna has peace or war. You see, I came from the mountains between Urbino and the ridge from which the Tiber springs. I was still so intent to hear what he said, so bent over toward him that my guide gave me a poke in the side and said, Talk away. This one's Italian. And I, who already had an answer set to go without any delay, started in by saying, Oh, spirit, who's concealed down in there? Your Romagna is not, nor has it ever been, without war in the heart of its tyrants. But when I left, it wasn't in the middle of a battle. Ravenna is just as it's been for years now. The eagle of Polenta broods over it so that it covers Cervia with its wings. The locale that made it through the long siege and turned the French into a bloody mess now finds itself underneath the green claws, the old and young mastiffs of Verrucchio, who fiercely and badly rule over Montagna, morphed their teeth into drill bits. The cities of Lamone and Santerno are ruled by the little lion in the white den who changes sides, whether north or south. And the town that's bathed by the Savio, just as it sits between the mountains and the plain, so too it lives between tyranny and freedom. So now, I beg you, tell us who you are. Don't be as recalcitrant with me as others have been with you. Also, your name can hold its head up in our world. After the flame had raised a ruckus in its own way for a bit, a sharp point moved back and forth and gave its breath to this. If I were to believe that my answer was crafted for someone who might go back to the world above, this flame would stand here without even a sputter. But because none ever gets out of this pit and makes it back to life, at least if what I hear is true, then I can reply without any fear of getting shamed. I, I was a military guy, but then got courted as a Franciscan, believing, cinched up like that, that I could make amends, and I'm sure my beliefs would have worked out on my half— had it not been for the great priest, I hope he gets it bad. He sent me right back to my old tricks. I want you to hear the how and the why. While I was still formed from the bones and flesh my mother gave me, my work wasn't like a lion, more like a fox. All underhanded ways and subterfuges. Well, I knew them and was skilled in their art, so much so that my fame rang out all over my home turf. When I saw that I had come to that part of my life when a guy should pull in the ropes of his sails and wind up his rigging. What had pleased me in the past began to bug me, so having repented and confessed, I did an about-face, and, oh, wretch that I am, it should have done the trick, but the prince of the new Pharisees had a war on hand in the Lateran, not against the Saracens or the Jews, mind you, oh no, this one's enemies were other Christians, not even some guy who'd gone off to vanquish Acre nor one who'd wanted to trifle in the sultan's holdings. He didn't hold his office sacred, the church's orders, or even my own holy cord, the sort that used to make the ones who wore it emaciated. But as Constantine once sought out Sylvester up on Mont Sorate to cure him of leprosy, so this one called me in as a physician to heal his feverish pride. He asked my counsel. I 
kept quiet because his speech sounded like rank drunkenness. Then he went on. Don't let your heart be troubled. I grant you absolution before anything happens. Now you can let me know how to raise Palestrina to the ground. As you know, I can lock and unlock heaven itself because of this pair of keys that my predecessor didn't value properly. I thought his weighty argument so pushed me on that my silence seemed the worst way to go. So I said, Father, since you wash me clean of the sin into which I'm going to fall, promise a lot. But deliver far less. That's how to triumph from your exalted throne. When I died, Francis came for me. But one of the black cherubim said to him, And so of this one, Don't wrong me now. Down he goes among the legions of my slaves because he gave fraudulent counsel. Ever since that moment, I've been waiting to snatch him by the hair. If a guy doesn't repent, he can't be pardoned. And he can't repent a thing, yet still want it. That's a contradiction that won't stand. Oh, what a load of sorrow I am. How I came to with a shock when he grabbed me saying, perhaps you never imagined the likes of me would be versed in logic. He carried me down to Minos, who curled his tail eight times around his hard back, then biting it in his tremendous wrath, Minos said, this one deserves the thieving fire. In other words, I'm lost forever, just as you see me down here. In these fiery vestments, I make my way steeped in bitter regret. When it said no more and turned silent, the sorrowing flame took its leave, tossing and flickering its pointed horn. We then made our way, my guide and I, up along the escarpment and to the high arch that goes over the next ditch, in which those who load up by pulling things apart pay their toll. Even with unbound words, who could tell about the blood and the wounds that I now saw, even if you told the tale a bunch of times? For certain, no tongue could pull it off, because neither our discourse nor our memory has the open space to contain so much. If only all these people could be brought together again, the ones who, in that fortune-blasted land of Puglia, wailed over the blood that the Trojans shed because of their long war that ended with heaps of rings from the corpses, as Livy writes, and he didn't make mistakes, as well as those who've been hacked up by blows in their resistance to Robert Giscard, and all those whose scattered bones are still piled up at Ceparano, where every Apulian plate it falls, and at Tagliacozzo, where old Erad de Valéry made his victory by schemes rather than armaments, if some of these could display their run-through limbs and others their severed stumps, it still would not begin to come to terms with the horrid ways of the ninth pouch. If a barrel were missing a stave in the middle or on the side, it wouldn't gape so wide as one guy I saw down there split from his chin down to where we fart. His guts swung between his legs, his viscera were visible, even the sorry sack that turns what we swallow into shit. While I was thunderstruck by the sight of him, he caught my gaze and tore open his chest with his hands, saying, See how I rip myself apart at this point. Take a good look at how Mohammed is mangled. Ali, wailing, walks ahead of me, his face hewed open from his chin to his forehead, and all the others you see here, 
sowed the seeds of this scandal or schism while they were alive. That's why they're hacked open this way. A devil is stationed behind us. He decks out each one of this group just this cruelly with the edge of his sword. When we've made the circuit of this sorrowful road, you see all our wounds have healed before we again come in front of that demon. But who are you hanging around on that escarpment, perhaps buying a little time before the pain your self-recriminations have brought on you? Death hasn't grabbed him yet replied my master Virgil, nor does guilt lead him into torment, but so that he can experience the full scope of things I, who am dead, guide him through hell down here, circle by circle. And that's as true as the fact that I'm speaking with you now. When they heard him, more than a hundred of the damned came to a stop in the ditch to gaze at me and wonder, forgetting their sufferings. Then you who will maybe see the sun again real soon, should say to Fra Dolcina that he'd better take care unless he wants to follow me down right here, that he'd better stock up on provisions, lest the wall of snow show the Novarize how to get a victory, otherwise easily won. Mohammed had paused with his foot in midair to say these words to me. Then he planted his foot back on the ground and departed. Another guy who had his throat run through and his nose gashed up to his eyebrows and only a single ear left on his head, stopped with the others and gazed up at me in wonder before anyone else could do it. He pulled open his windpipe, just the spot still stained ruby red with the blood, and he said, Hey, you, not condemned by guilt, I saw you up above on Italian soil, unless some likeness to you has tricked me. Remember Pierre da Medicina? If you ever go back to see that sweet plain that slopes down from Vercelli to Marcabo. And let the two top guys of Fano, Messieurs Guido and Agnolello, know this. Unless our foresight here is worthless, they'll be thrown off their ship in a weighted sack near Catolica thanks to the treachery of a menacing tyrant. Between the islands of Cyprus and Majorca, Neptune has never seen such great malfeasance, neither committed by pirates nor even by Greeks. That traitor who sees with only one eye and holds the city, which someone down here with me wishes he'd never laid eyes on, will bring them all in for detente. And then we'll handle them so that they will never need to pray or make vows to save them from the winds off Focara. I said to him, indicate the guy and fill me in if you want me to take the news back up top. Who's the one who found the sight of that city so bitter? At that, he laid his hands on the jaw of one of his fellow travelers to wedge open his mouth, saying, here's the guy. Can't speak. This one, while in exile, drowned the doubts of Caesar, promising him that if a guy is ready, he always harms himself with further delays. Oh, how forlorn he seemed to me, with his tongue cut out way down in his throat, this curio who used to speak so fearlessly. And then a guy who'd had both one and the other of his hands cut off raised the stumps into the Stygian air so that the blood befouled his face and cried out, You'll still remember Mosca too, the guy also who said a thing done can't be undone for the Tuscan people. That was a really bad seed. And death to your kin, I spit back at him. At that, having heaped sorrow on sorrow, he walked off like someone gone insane with grief. I stuck around to watch the company and I saw something which made me afraid to even mention it without further proof. Even so, 
What bucks me up is conscience, the good compatriot that makes a man brave under the armor of his own truly felt purity. Honestly, I saw and I still seem to see a torso without a head coming along just like the others in that sad sack crowd. He held his uncoupled head by its hair, swinging it from his hand like a lantern. The head took one look at us and said, Oh, me. He had made a lamp out of himself so that they were two and one and one and two. How could this be? Only he who orders it knows. When this one had gotten right up to the foot of the bridge, he raised his arm, carrying the whole head high to make his words unmistakable, which were, Now look at my deadly pain. You there, breathing away as you gawk at the dead. See if any torment is as great as mine, so that you may carry back news of me. Know that I am Bertrand de Bourne, who gave the young king the bad counsel. I led the father and son into open rebellion with each other. Ahithophel did no more to Absalom and David with his wicked nudging. Since I divided otherwise joined persons, I carry my own brain divided, alas, from its origin point on this torso. This is how the contrapasso is made manifest in me. Io parti così giunte persone, partito porto il mio cerebro lasso dal suo principio che in questa troncone, così s'osserva in me lo contrapasso. Well, that's our reading of Cantos. Ulysses, Guido de Montefeltro, Mohammed, Bertrand de Bourne. These cantos are packed full of action, and as you remember, packed full of interpretive knots right and left. They are starting to show Dante really subtly into his full genius and the genius of the plot, because these voices are so loud, so redolent, so settled in the bodies of the speakers. It's a beautiful set of imaginative narrative work that we have come through. Subscribe to this podcast, rate it, stick with me. We are walking straight down Inferno, on and on down. We got two more episodes in our read-through, and then we will have read straight through Inferno. That in itself is quite an achievement. Thank you for walking with me and Dante. I'm Mark Scarborough, and I'll see you soon.